Welcome to Think About It, a podcast from Houston Baptist University here in Houston, Texas. At HBU, we empower our students so their beliefs can fuel their lives. We prepare our students to thrive at the university level and beyond. And now we join our host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, with today's guest. Hello, I'm Diana Severance. I'm director of the Dunham Bible Museum. It's really an honor and a privilege. I received my PhD in history from Rice University. I worked with the Klein School District for 25 years as a teacher and as a curriculum writer and then as a museum director. We established a farm museum uh, in Klein for the children to come visit what life used to be like in the early 1800s. And then um, I read a newspaper article about a Bible collection that Houston Baptist University was acquiring. And I told my husband, oh, I would just love to work with those Bibles. And Gordon said, well, you need to volunteer and make yourself indispensable. So I volunteered and I worked there one day cataloging. They had just got this American collection. So I was cataloging for a while and I came back the next week, worked another day and Jerry Wiles was in charge of organizing this originally. And he said they were going to try to get enough funds to have a curator for the museum. I said, well, let me know when you do because I would like to apply. He said, you're it. <laughs> so that's when they got the funds. I applied and I've been here for 19 years. We originally had the Bible Museum in the library where Java City is now located. That's where we had an American Bible collection. And then when we moved into the Cultural Arts Center, I was able to make contact with two wonderful men, Dr. Donald Brake and Dr. John Helstern, who had spent a lifetime, each of them collecting Bibles, collecting together so that they didn't duplicate each other. And we were able, through the generosity of uh, Archie Dunham and Linda, to acquire their collection when we set up the uh, Museum and the Cultural Arts Center. So we are approaching, this year actually, is the museum's 25th anniversary. So I've been here 19 years, and it's been a really exciting time. Wow, Dr. Diane Severance, Director of the Dunham Bible Museum. What an incredible museum it yes. is. I mean, uh, we're gonna show some B-roll while we're talking of the museum, and um, people will be able to appreciate the things we're sharing. Now, you have a lot of things in the Bible Museum. Why don't you describe what's in there, in the collection? Well, we try to show the Bible historically. So we start off with manuscripts. We have a Torah scroll, early Torah scroll, early manuscripts. Um, we have some facsimiles of like the Codex Vaticanus, the Codex Sinaiticus. We have medieval manuscripts. We have an absolutely beautiful scroll of the Book of Esther that's illuminated that was part of Dr. Helstern's collection. We have um, what are called Paris Bibles. They're uh, the earliest form of Bibles that look like Bibles that we see today. They had finally developed the form of paper. They can make it thin enough and write small enough to put the entire Bible in a form that someone could carry around, like a Franciscan monk or something. We have leaves from um, Wycliffe's Bible translation. He was the first to translate the Bible into English from the Latin Vulgate. We have a wonderful replica of the Gutenberg printing press 
which you can operate and show the process of printing. We do have a leaf of an original Gutenberg uh, Bible a leaf that's there from Psalm 8. And then we have some of the earliest printed Bibles, what are called incunabulas, anything printed in the first 50 years of printing. We have a 1516 Erasmus Greek New Testament, which he also has a Latin translation beside it to show some problems with the early Latin Bibles. And we have a 1516 Psalter that was printed in Genoa. It's, it's wonderful. It's a polyglot. It has the Psalms in Hebrew, Arabic, Aramaic, Greek, Latin, and, and just separate columns, and it has a commentary out to the side. And we have it open to a very special place. In Psalm 19, around verse 4, it says, the word of the Lord has gone to the ends of the earth. The commentary says, this is where Christopher Columbus went, and it gives you a biography of Christopher Columbus in the margin of that Bible. We have, um, every, every single item has a, a fascinating story to it. We have a replica of a box Bible, which has an interesting story, but we also have the earliest English Bibles. My favorite, my treasure there, is a 1536 Tyndale New Testament, which was the first New Testament translated into English from the original Greek, and it's printed the year that Tyndale was executed for his faith. And right before he died and was executed, he prayed for the Lord to open the King of England's eyes and allow an English Bible in England. And the next year, Henry VIII allowed that English Bible. So we have some of the earliest Bibles by Coverdale, um, John Rogers. We have um, a Geneva Bible which was translated in Geneva by English refugees at the time. It's the first Bible translated from the Greek and the Hebrew into English. And, and there's a wonderful little story. I was in Geneva a few years back, and I went to the Museum of the Reformation, and they were very excited to show me their Geneva Bible. And I said, oh, well, that's nice, but that's a 1562 edition. We have a 1561st edition in our museum. <laughs> and then before they did the complete Bible, they did um, a New Testament. So we have a 1557 Geneva New Testament, and there are only seven of those that still exist. And the museum said, well, where's, where's your museum? I said, Houston. <laughs> but it was kind of funny. A little ways from Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a first edition uh, 1611 King James Bible. We have a lunar Bible, which is a little microfilm of the entire Bible that went to the moon and back with Apollo 14. And then we have a wonderful American Bible collection uh, as well. We've got a, a Bible, this was donated to us. It's a 1581 Geneva Bible, but it was brought to America by Christopher Avery in 1630 with John Winthrop aboard the Arbella. And we have, wow. um, it's just fabulous to have that. We've got the first Bible with, or first book with musical notes printed in America it was a psalm book. And the man who did the translation of the Psalms, Francis Hopkinson was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Mm. So we have a, a lot of Bibles associated with early founders in, in different ways. And then um, 
some other American Bibles. I mean, go, I could go on and on. <laughs> but well, some other Bibles would be like we have Anson Jones, who was the last president of the Republic of Texas. We have his personal Bible with his family cool. lineage in it. Uh, we have the Saint replica or facsimile of the St. John's Bible, which is a wonderful illuminated Bible done in the 21st century. And, and so we just have a fabulous collection. Well, Diane, this is amazing to hear this. And I, I do want to early up mention this great book that you just finished, The Living Word, Daily Readings on the History, Influence, and Impact of the Bible. And um, I just flipped through here a moment ago, and I can't wait to get this. I'm going to make this my daily devotional because there's so many beautiful stories in here about the impact and the history of the scriptures. Uh, you know, what's interesting to me, most people have no idea of the story of the Bible, do they? No. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they have no idea that, mm -hmm. what was it, just several centuries ago, there wasn't even a Bible as far as a, a bound Bible. And, um, and then when you mentioned these, the morning star of the, of the Reformation, Wycliffe and Tyndall, these men that paid such a dear price. They did. They burned did. at the stake. Yes. Their bones exhumed and burned because they wanted to get the scriptures into the hands of the common people because they knew it would be transformative. Right, and it is transformative. And what's so sad is today the Bible is being neglected and not read when we have it available. Um, well, was it George Gallup that said that the American people are the most, uh, they have more Bibles that they don't read? Right, And right. Mark Twain used to say it's not what's, uh, you know, commented again about the biblical, the lack of reading of the scriptures. Yes. And I personally believe that a Christian should read their Bible through every, and keep doing it. Right, right. And so I've read the scriptures through many times. Yeah, right. My father That's read it through much more than I did. He read it through every 10 and a half weeks, which is a regime of five chapters in the morning, 10 at night, 20 on Sunday. <laughs> and he did it. That's wonderful. Just without any deviation. I, I like to spend maybe two or three chapters a day and marinate a bit. So yeah. it takes me about a year to get through the Bible. But, but it becomes it. a part of you. Oh, it, it, it does. And I write the verses down on little business cards. My, one of the primary uses of my business card is to write scripture <laughs> on it. <laughs> and I write scriptures on it, and I put them in my pocket, and I carry them to work with me. Mm -hmm. And because the Word of God. Right, now, right. Now, you, I mean. I, I love the expression that. Charles Spurgeon used of John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which is just seeping with scriptures. Oh, yeah. And Spurgeon said that if you prick Bunyan, he would bleed Bibline. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so much a part of him. And it, it should be. I mean, it's the word of God. If God has delivered this to us, why should we neglect it? And it can, you know, the, the many of the scriptures that we both know, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed of the word, what gives us wisdom is the Word. So right. Christy and I have been on this thing of asking for more wisdom from God. Mm -hmm. But we're in Proverbs right now, you know. Now, I want to go back to the, the Dunham Bible Museum. Okay. And it's named after Archie and Linda Dunham. Two incredible people. Yes, yes. 
Tell us how their affection was set on the museum to make this happen. Well, very early when we still had the American Bible collection, they began making some donations to it. And when they found out about the possibility of obtaining the Halstern Brake collections, they very generously came And where that. was that collection at? Um, around Dallas. Around they, Dallas. They lived. Um, and Dr. Brake and Dr. Halstern had Interestingly, Dr. Brake was Dean of Multnomah Seminary, and Dr. Hellstern was an Air Force chaplain. And they met and collected together, but so that they would not duplicate each other, which mm -hmm. just expanded their collection. And they had major exhibits at Branson, at, um, in Tulsa, and interestingly, they had gone to Baylor to see if they could sell their collections to Baylor when Dr. Sloan was there and Baylor didn't buy them. <laughs> so, so they ended up uh, coming here when, when he was here and we were able to obtain them. And both of them are very thrilled that their collection is at HBU. We're showing footage right now where the Dunham Bible Museum is. In fact, we'll walk with this film right through the front door and into the museum. So help us understand when people can access the museum, who can access it. It's it, open Monday through Saturdays from 10 until 4. 10 until and 4. And it's free. There's no charge. If, they, if people want a tour, they have to call and make an appointment for a tour. Okay. But we do have audio guides where people can use their cell phone and punch in numbers and listen to an audio if they want that. But everything's very clearly marked. Uh, so it's open to, to anyone. And do you do any events that are conspicuous to the Dunham Bible Museum? We, we have lectures. We started, when we moved into the Cultural Arts Center, we started having lectures. So we used to have about four a year. We've had some Bible conferences on uh, the Reformation, on the King James Bible. Uh, and all of the lectures that we had, most of them, are online now so that you can go back and see uh, okay, so we're, how would we access those lectures? Go, go to our website. So at hpu.edu slash Bible Museum. Okay, so... And our website <clears> is wonderful. Uh, in fact, the website designers here are, are saying how, how it gets more traffic than anything else at HBU. So we've got a lot of our collections are shown online, and then we have our past lectures and some writings and uh, that kind of thing. We've tried to begin digitizing some of our Bibles. One of the, you go through some of the Bibles, like the family Bibles, are fascinating. They're like encyclopedias. They've got special articles on archaeology and history and Bible background and doctrines. And so we've tried to take some of those articles and put them online for people to, to use as well. So it's, it's a wonderful resource. Who designed the website? Well, I guess some web designer originally designed it, and I just add to it all the time. <laughs> well, that, so we want to hbu.edu. Slash Bible Museum. Slash. Now, I have here on my card Museums, Dunham Bible Museum. Is that correct? Maybe that connects us as well, but it's easier just to say slash Bible Museum. Bible Museum. Okay, it. very good. Now, <clears throat> this is under your leadership, Diana, and we are very proud of you at HBU. Uh, I had the privilege to sit on the bus in Israel with you a few moons ago um, as we journeyed in the, the Holy Land. I want to take a minute and talk about your publishing. You've offered several books. 
Course of the Living Word, daily readings on the history, influence, and impact of the Bible. The story of Emily, a Proverbs 31 woman. So Emily Severance was my husband's grandmother, and she was a pastor's wife and uh, very well educated at Mount Holyoke, a wonderful Christian, we have, and we have her diary. And so that's basically based upon her diary. When she was like 16, she was writing poetry that was being published. And uh, so this is her life story. And then her story, 366 devotions from 21 centuries of the Christian church. Yes, and that's the way this got started. I taught uh, courses at Southeastern Baptist Seminary, Southwestern Seminary in Beeson, Divinity School on Women in Christian History. Oh, cool. And uh, it was a little frustrating because I couldn't find any textbooks uh, to use it on the subject. Most of what I found were very feminist, secular-oriented. And so I ended up writing a book after I taught that, which was called Feminine Threads, Women in the Tapestry of Christian History. So that's a basic history. And then the publisher contacted me and said they wanted maybe to divide it up into devotions for 365 days a year. And so I thought, I could do that. I've already written this big history. But there were only about 180 specific women (laughs) that were in the history book. So uh, I had to do quite a bit of work to do that. And it was another thing. It was very, um, when they asked me to do the uh, devotional book, Her Story, was probably about two or three months before my husband died. And it was wonderful to have that work that I had to do, you know, after he had gone. I can only imagine. And then, of course, Against the Gates of Hell, With and Stock. Is that an academic book? It's a biography. It's a biography of my husband's grandfather. And when Gordon and I got married and moved into our house, he had a big box full of papers. And he had family letters from 1860, 1830. And in there was a diary that was his grandfather's for the year his mom was born. And it's beautiful. It was also the year that his wife had died very shortly after Gordon's mom was born. And in the diary, he talked about his despair at his wife dying. And then the scripture or the hymns that would come to mind to set his mind right again. Uh, He was a missionary in Turkey from 1866 to 1913. Mm -hmm. And at the back of the diary that we had was a receipt from the American Board of Missions for 30-something other diaries. So we found out that the American Board had their archives in the Houghton Rare Book Library. So we went to the Houghton Library at Harvard, got all the diaries, made transcripts and notes, and wrote this biography. It's fascinating. Yeah. He was there during the time of the Armenian Massacre. Oh, yeah. And he was a very godly, godly man. Just beautiful, uh, his, his life and work. It's, it's startling to go through Turkey today and realize that was the cradle of Christianity yes. in the original centuries. And, and now there's a minareth of Islamic mosque literally on every stop across the street from Paul's home is an Islamic mosque in Tarsus. I mean, it's, 
it's staggering. Yeah, um, very sad. And that's, this is why history is important. And I want to go back. You have a PhD in history from Rice. That's not an easy hill to climb. Well, <laughs> well I went to Rice. As an, and actually, the way I got into studying history, my interest in history, was um, in high school, our pastor was teaching through Isaiah. And he was bringing in all of the history about sure. Hezekiah, Sennacherib, and, uh -huh. and, and I, I was just fascinated. And so I wanted to get the background to the Bible history. That's what I was really interested in. And so I went to study ancient history at Rice was my goal. And the ancient history professor there was in his 80s. He was about ready to retire, but he stayed on long enough for me to finish. <laughs> and he was uh, a, a good Christian man too. So I was able to study there and they kept giving me money to go to school. So I got my PhD there too. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, I'm watching Ken Burns's uh, documentary on Benjamin Franklin on PBS. Uh -huh. And amazing history there. It is. Uh, history is so important. And Benjamin uh, Franklin. There's a wonderful quote by Franklin. He says, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the fears of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall from the sky without his notice, is it possible for an empire to rise without his aid? And then he calls for prayer in Congress for before the Declaration of Independence. Isn't that beautiful? It is. And I'm right at that point in this multi-episodic series. It's a, he, he was an amazing man. Yes. Obviously, the Bible had said, you know, the Bible Literacy Project pointed out that without a knowledge of the Bible, you can't even really understand the arts. You can't understand most things. No. Mm -mm. And you can't understand the references politicians who use it as a stump speech. Most of them do not, don't know the Bible at all you know, the mispronunciations of contemporary po politicians of the Bible is laughable. It shows you how yes. ignorant most of them are. Well, the that's scripture. one of the things the Living Word does. It, like, for example, it looks at Patrick Henry's Liberty or Death speech and shows all of the scriptural references. That and those are what, so each one of these are kind of a scintillating historical aspect right. mm -hmm. of the scripture. Now, this is a daily devotional, yes. The Living Word by Diane Severance. And I want to make sure the camera comes in here and gets this real good. And uh, take a moment, take a look at it right now. And then uh, you can go to the Dunham Bible Museum and purchase this. This would be a great gift for friends. You ought to buy one for everyone in your Sunday school department. Give one to your pastor. Christian Books or Amazon. Amazon yeah, as well? Gets it too. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. Uh, Diane, we, we are grateful to you for all that you're doing, for your wonderful work and labor here. It's just an honor to be here. <laughs> and really uh, what, what, the way you've nurtured this vision, we don't want to close without giving honor to your late husband, Gordon. You want to say a word about Gordon? Gordon, Gordon is a wonderful Christian man, just wonderful. And uh, we, have a one, we have a title for our romance, called a romance that spans four continents because we met and we were on a tour of the early church, each of us individually. And so we met in Ephesus. We got acquainted in Corinth and Philippi and um, court in North America. He was in California. I was in Texas. He had a Fulbright to teach in the law school in Kampala, Uganda. And it was easier for me to go there and us get married than 
for him to come back and it's not. So uh, we ended up get, getting married in Kampala Baptist Church. Uh, and we had an absolutely beautiful, beautiful marriage together. It's something that the Lord just put together. It's beautiful. Wow. He was a, a lawyer, uh, law professor. He adjunct here for a time, uh, but he taught at Cal State, LA, and several other places. Fantastic. Well, Gordon has entered that perfect world yes. that someday we'll be in. He did. One of the things, the last things, big projects, he always had a project he did, was he uh, was the producer of a film, Candle in the Dark, which is the life of William Carey. Mm. And Gordon had um, a client in India that was able to facilitate the filming of the film in India. And so Is that Candle in the Dark on Amazon? I don't know. I think I've seen Probably. it. Probably. It's, I think it's I've the seen life it. of William Carey. Yeah. It's filmed on location in India. Talk about a remarkable story there. Yes. Learn more about uh, not only the Dunham Bible Museum, but all of the activities and all their artifacts, hbu.edu slash museum. And uh, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., Monday through Friday. Monday through Saturday. Monday through Saturday. HBU opens its doors to the Dunham Bible Museum to you and your friends. You ought to bring your entire Sunday school class and reorient yourself to the incredible endurance of God's Word. And uh, that Gutenberg Press, I've been there in Germany to the little museum. Mm -hmm. uh, that was transformative in, our, in that day. Um, these are opportunities for you. Uh, to connect at HBU. The pandemic's over. Come on out and come to the Dunham Bible Museum. hbu.edu slash admissions. Check us out and become one of our students at 281-649-3211. Our graduate school, hbu.edu grad, 281-649-3269. And we do invite students to join the nearly all 50 states now that have HBU online students. We reach all over America. You can come to HBU no matter where you live, hbuonline.com, 855-428-1960. Diane, thanks for coming by. Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Here at HBU, we influence the culture around us by challenging our students to put their beliefs into action every day.